Hey, you guys, welcome back and welcome to the final episode of the Intuitive Eating April series. We've learned so much in these past seven episodes, and now we are on the last one of the series. And funny story, when I was doing this interview, I wasn't even doing it for it to be part of the Intuitive Eating April series. It was just supposed to be, you know, an educational episode for later on. But while me and the guest, Lindsay Lucen, got talking, I was like, wow, this really relates back to intuitive eating, which is so cool because it shows the importance of intuitive eating. So I was like, I just have to add it to this series. So that's why in the beginning, we don't really directly talk about intuitive eating and then it it kind of just falls into place and you'll, you'll, you'll hear me in this episode make that realization of, oh my gosh, this would be perfect for intuitive eating April. Um, so in this episode, I interview Lindsay Lucen, who is a registered dietitian and she specializes in disordered eating and fertility. So what she does is she helps people recover natural cycles to get pregnant and heal the relationship with food and exercise along the way. So it is so cool that intuitive eating even has a link to fertility and our hormones as women. So that's what we are going to be diving into today. Hey you guys, welcome to the Empowered Podcast hosted by your girl, Miranda Lee. I hope you're ready to get confident, throw away the all or nothing mindset, fully surrender to God, and strive to be 1% better every day. Don't forget, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Alrighty, let's get this party started. Hello, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Yeah, Miranda, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I'm really excited to um, talk about, you know, fertility and hormones and period recovery, because that is an, an important part of finding food freedom. And I haven't really touched on that in any of my podcast episodes before. So I'm really excited to dig deep into that with you. But before we talk about this, can you introduce yourself, tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I have been a registered dietitian for about 11 years. My um, majority of my work was actually ironically enough, more like in the weight loss space. That's just kind of like where like 90% of dietitians end up. Um, but it was really more through kind of my personal health journey that I found, you know, kind of the, the niche and the, um, uh, the, 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 the clients that I work with today. So, um, I had a really long history of disordered eating, um, and, through all of that disordered eating and a lot of exercise and through all of that, I actually lost my period. And it was not really something that anyone point like told me was like a really big problem. In fact, every time I would see physicians about it, um, wasn't given a lot of direction. I was just told to take birth control, um, as birth control will give you a withdrawal bleed, which looks like a period. And I thought everything was great until I came off the pill when I was ready to start a family and I didn't have a period. And so I was kind of faced with like, do I figure out what's going on with my body or do I, you know, jump into fertility treatment? And so long story short, I did a lot of independent research and figured out, um, the condition that I had, which is actually known as hypothalamic amenorrhea or just HA. Cause that's like such a huge mouthful. Um, and 
realized that like at the core, it was due to not eating enough for my body and my activity level. And so there was a lot of like undoing diet culture, um, during that time in my life to heal my body, but I was able to heal my body. I now have two kids and I help, um, women do the same thing, recover their periods and be able to be healthy and go on to have healthy babies. That's so awesome. Um, I just want to touch on one thing that you said that I guess I didn't even really know. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know is, you know, bleeding while on the pill isn't necessarily a period. And I think a lot of people can get that confused and just assume that, oh, like I have my period, I'm fine. Um, so maybe what are, what are some signs that you, I guess, are struggling with your period? Um, for those who maybe are on the pill, are there other like signs or symptoms that that we can have where you're like, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. So it's kind of tricky because let's say you go on the pill for birth control or for, you know, maybe other like hormonal reasons, the pill doesn't actually regulate your hormones. It actually shuts your cycle down. So you don't have your natural um, flow and cycle of hormones. You are then giving synthetic hormones for 20 or for, um, for three weeks. And then on the fourth week, you take a placebo pill and you just get a withdrawal bleed from the synthetic hormones that the pill has been provided. So you don't ovulate. It's not again, your natural cycle. So you don't have kind of the up and down flow of hormones like you would, um, if you were to be cycling on your own. Um, and so unfortunately you could be on the pill for years and years. And this is what I see in a lot of my clients is they don't know that they aren't able to get a period on their own and they don't know until they come off the pill. And that's usually whenever they're trying to start, um, for a family. And so if you go on the pill, there's really not like any major red flags from like a hormone perspective again, because you're probably going to feel great and you probably, um, you know, you are getting that monthly withdrawal bleed. And so in your mind, it, it's hard to know that there's like something else going on, but I would say red flags are really going to come in more on the lifestyle factors. Like if you're an incredibly active person, you have a really hard time with taking rest days. You get anxious whenever you have to miss a workout, you feel like you have to cut back on your food. Um, if you aren't able to move enough, you're really focused on the calories that you burn during your workouts. Those are kind of some red flags, um, from the nutrition side too, if you're like a calorie counter, or if you follow any sort of restrictive diet, like low carb or gluten-free or dairy-free, or you're just a clean eater, um, especially eating those ways in conjunction with a considerable amount of exercise, it's just really hard to meet your needs. And that's usually where we see HA come in. Mm, okay. I, I want to really dive into the whole nutrition aspect, but before we do, um, I guess just a little, one last question about the birth control pill, because I was on it for 10 years. I was put on it by my doctor, um, for acne, uh, which knowing now it actually led me to become gluten intolerant and dairy intolerant. Cause it really messed up my gut health. And I didn't realize until after I got off the pill that the pill is the reason why I was actually suffering with these allergies. But, um, I guess if anyone asked me, I'd just be like, I just wouldn't recommend going on the pill. I guess what's your professional opinion on the birth control pill? Because uh, like you said, it's just synthetic hormones and I, it doesn't really, it's kind of a band aid instead of addressing whatever issue like we, that we have, which is why doctors typically put us on the pill. So it always depends upon why the individual is going on the pill, right? Somebody's going on the pill to prevent pregnancy. It's actually very effective for that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So in that case, I think it's totally fine. I would encourage women to do a little self-education. The fifth vital sign has a lot of information on your cycle, your period, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And it also has a lot of information about birth control, like how it originated, like what it's actually doing to your body. And so I would just you know, if you are on the pill or if you're thinking about going on the pill, um, again, if it's for the purpose of birth control, I think that's totally fine, but I would encourage women to educate themselves. Now, if your doctor has prescribed the pill for like hormone balance or because you aren't getting a period at all, full stop, that's not going to fix your hormone issues. It's not going to bring your period back. Um, like you said, Miranda, it's really just masking issues. And so that's, that's not the answer. And I would not recommend hormonal birth control in, um, in, in that scenario. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause I feel like, you know, there's a lot of controversy, especially on, especially on social media of the birth control pill, but I do like the point that you made that, you know, if you're trying to, if you're taking the pill, for birth control, that makes sense. But to, to mask the, the other reasons, definitely important to educate ourselves and, obvi- and um, additionally advocate for ourselves when it comes um, to talking to our doctor. So moving on to the whole, you know, food freedom and fertility portion. Um, we, like I said, I haven't really talked about the fertility aspect when it comes to food freedom. And I feel like a lot of people, when they think of maybe the negative aspects of dieting um, or over-exercising, they don't really think about their hormones and maybe the long-term effects it has on their fertility. So can you touch a little bit on that of why over-exercising and under-eating can actually hurt our fertility, maybe damage other areas when it comes to our hormones and any other long-term effects that it has as well. Yeah, you bet. So I think the easiest way to think about this is most people can draw a connection between stress and fertility and stress not being good for fertility. Two big stressors in women, especially active women, um, are exercise, especially high intensity exercise and under eating. And so people don't really think about that as forms of stress on them, on their body, but they are to take it a level deeper, you know, under fueling in general, like simply not taking in enough food for your body and your activity level that's stressful, but also too, what I usually see in my clients that are experiencing period loss or really irregular cycles and difficulty ovulating is stress around food. They have a lot of guilt around eating certain foods. They're overthinking everything that they eat. They plan meticulously how much they're going to eat. And then if they deviate from that at all, there's a lot of stress, guilt, and anxiety. And so again, going back to that stress component, what can happen is that your body senses that stress. And it says, this is not a safe time to make a baby. So in certain instances, you usually what happens is it will, um, um, not make your cycle, not healthy enough for pregnancy. And what I mean by that is we'll start to see a shortening luteal phase. So your luteal phase is the time between when you ovulate and when your period comes for fertility. We want to see that, you know, ideally kind of 10 to 14, the longer, the better. Um, and whenever the body is stressed, it will, ma- it, um, it will make less progesterone so that maybe you are ovulating, but your cycle simply isn't, you're not, your body's not making enough progesterone to sustain a healthy pregnancy. Um, so that's usually the first place that we start to see it when somebody is really stressed or they're, especially if they're under fueling over exercising, the next place that we'll see it show up is cycles that are inovulatory, meaning you don't ovulate. So the body basically says, you know, I'm not, I, I, it's, this is not the time to make a baby, um, rather than not making enough progesterone, I'm going to completely shut off ovulation. I'm too stressed to ovulate. 
And then finally, kind of the most severe form, and this is like what kind of more the technical definition of hypovolemic amenorrhea is when your body shuts down your cycle altogether. So there's no ovulation, there's no lining being built up, there's no fluctuation in hormones, and your body has basically shut down reproduction in an effort to conserve energy because it simply doesn't have enough fuel and calories to have a cycle. So what were some signs and symptoms that you experienced to, I'm not going to not going to attempt to say the name. So I'm going to call HA, like you said, (laughs) that made you realize that, you know, maybe something's wrong. Um, and then to, you know, eventually get diagnosed with HA. Yeah. So I will say too, it's really tricky to get diagnosed in, in my experience. Even today, there are not, there are probably only a handful of doctors that will say the term and actually know how to kind of diagnose it. And even from that handful, there's an even smaller handful that actually know that you can do something about it. So I would say it became evident to me when I wasn't getting my period every month. Um, and I was a teenager. And so usually when you're going to your doctor as a teenager and you have an irregular period, they're kind of like, Oh, well that's normal. And it can be right. Like you're young and your body's still figuring things out. And so when I first went to my doctor about an irregular cycle, that was kind of my first sign, right? I wasn't getting my period every month or it was like, I didn't know when I was going to get my period and I went to my doctor to talk about it and they drew some labs and it was determined that my estrogen was very low, um, which is a really common sign with, with HA. Um, but at the time, this was like way back in 2004, um, at the time, the standard for treatment, and unfortunately this is the standard for treatment today, um, for a lot of physicians was just to go on the pill. Um, and so I never actually got a formal diagnosis of HA. It was something that I kind of had to stumble upon and self-diagnose, um, years and years and years later. And that was really more during my fertility journey that I, you know, figured out what it was. Okay. That's, that's, it's kind of nice to hear that you didn't just go to the doctor and they were like, Oh, this is what's wrong with you. Cause I feel like a lot of people get so discouraged when they go to the doctor and they don't know. And what you did is you educated yourself. You kept doing research, kept looking further into it. And I feel like that's something a lot of us need to do along with, you know, advocating for ourselves in, um, you know, in the medical space. So if someone right now were to be like, okay, I don't have my period. I haven't had my period, let's say for a couple of years, what are, Alter. <laughs> what are the first steps that they can take to get their period back or even, you know, ask for help? So if you are missing your period, it's important to figure out the root cause of why your period is missing. So the issue that I'm talking about HA, um, is only one reason for missing period. Um, PCOS is, is a different issue. Um, and it's, it's relatively common. Um, there's also things, um, not necessarily related to nutrition or exercise, um, for period loss I means simply psychological stress can result in period loss. Usually that's something that will resolve once the stress is like properly managed, um, things like nutrient deficiencies and gut health, right? So you really need to ask some, some questions and do a little bit of research and figure out why is your period missing? Now, if somebody is listening to this and they're starting to check some boxes in terms of lifestyle factors with, you know, having a really strict diet or being very into nutrition, and then also, you know, kind of the, the exercise piece too, when they're thinking, wow, like maybe that is me, um, you know, step one is to reduce the stress. 
and to correct the calorie deficit. So step one would be if you're engaging in a lot of high intensity exercise, like running or CrossFit, high intensity interval training, um, really anything that gets your heart rate above kind of the 120 beat per minute mark is to stop that exercise. And I know that that's so hard, especially for somebody in this space because they love exercise. And I think that this is one of the biggest challenges of recovering from HA is recognizing that exercise needs to go on the back burner temporarily. doesn't mean that you can't exercise ever again, but you really have to bring um, some, some rest, rest and healing to your body. And the first step in doing that is going to be to reduce the physical activity that you're doing. Um, Equally as important is making sure that you're eating enough. Um, there's been research to suggest that. I don't know if you guys talk about calories on here or not, um, but there's been research to suggest that 2,500 calories is a great place to start. Um, that's usually a lot more food than most women who are experiencing HA are eating. And so not that you need to obsess over the number, but it's going to be really important that you start thinking about, okay, do my meals actually have carbs and fat and protein? And if they don't start filling in the gaps there and then recognizing too that, you know, you are going to need to eat more, like probably a lot more than is comfortable for you. So probably seeking out some support from a registered dietitian or a counselor, somebody who, especially who specializes more in disordered eating and eating disorders would be a really good kind of care plan to put together. Awesome. Those are, those are great tips. And especially the first one is, you know, finding the root cause of why you are missing your period. Cause like you said, there's so many reasons, there are so many um, different reasons why someone might be missing their period, but to really self-assess self and see, okay, I'm over-exercising, under-eating, um, I guess what words of wisdom or encouragement you have for those individuals who realize, okay, like I need to stop over-exercising and I need to eat more because I'm sure that makes them so, so uncomfortable, especially, you know, after years and years of probably dieting or having just disordered eating habits. Um, what, what do you, what do you have to say, you know, to maybe help them make this change and process a little easier? Yeah, I would say that I completely understand the fear. It's probably the number one thing that holds people back from actually recovering. Um, but that the recovery journey, while it's very challenging, just like any like big challenge in your life, it's something that can actually really impact your life in a positive way. And you can come out a much better person on the other side. If you really think about, um, how much time you're spending thinking about food, how much time you're using hours and hours per week, exercising, like what else could you do with that time? How could relationships benefit? Would you be able to go casually get pizza with friends on the weekend? Would you be able to let um, a family member or a friend cook for you without freaking out about the ingredients or the amount of fat that they're using when they're cooking? And so just recognizing that there are so many things to gain by stepping back in your current lifestyle and recognizing that there is this whole world of freedom outside of your little, your little routine. Mm, yeah, it's so true because there's just, there's just so much freedom in really finding food freedom. That's why they call it food freedom. Cause you're just, you're so free of the shackles of food guilt and everything that diet culture is, is telling you. So it will take time to really reframe your mindset. So I know when it comes to trying to, you know, get your, your period back, working on your fertility, I know everyone's different. Um, but I guess like, what's kind of like a rough timeline is this something that maybe one person can fix in a month and another person, it can be a couple years, 
what can someone expect so they don't feel discouraged when, you know, spend one, two, three months, a year down the road and they haven't seen anything yet? So it's going to depend upon the person for sure. There's going to be some individual variability. I would say a few months is normal. I would not say years is normal. If you're taking, you know, longer than six months to get a period back, you're probably not doing all the things you need to do to support your body getting there. Um, you know, with the clients that I work with, we usually see periods return in an average of about two months. Three months is, you know, kind of more on the higher side, but two to three months is a really good range. And then depending upon the person, you could potentially see a period back in about a month or so. Okay. And then, so once they get their period back, how long do they have to continue, you know, not working out? Um, When can they start, you know, trying to implement some more activity? Maybe, I don't even know how they would, you know, approach their their nutrition, like if they wanted to maybe change up their nutrition a little more and, you know, trying to focus on more whole foods or whatever their goal is, how do they go about that? So they know not, you know, so they don't lose their period again. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, people are probably going to have the most success if they're actually working with a dietitian again, who specializes in disordered eating, because when somebody is learning to fully nourish their body, right. And they're incorporating more food in, and maybe they're also incorporating some fear foods in. people wouldn't touch a bagel with a 10 foot pole, but they're recognizing like, Hey, this restriction is not healthy. And it's led me to an unhealthy place mentally and physically. And so once someone gets their period back, let's say they've gone a month of, of giving themselves unconditional permission to eat. I wouldn't then pull back and say, it's time to start getting more whole foods back in my diet. Gentle nutrition is always something that can be applied once your relationship with food is fully healed. And so I wouldn't say that there's a general progression of when to change your diet. I think that it's first healing your relationship with food and then going through the 10 principles of intuitive eating. You know, the reason why, um, um, honor your health with gentle nutrition, the 10th principle, there's a reason why it's number 10. It's because it's the one that needs to come last and it needs to come after rejecting the diet mentality, um, you know, accepting your body and your genetic blueprint, um, and honoring your hunger. And so if somebody is able to recover their period by eating more and exercising less, absolutely. Gentle nutrition is going to be really important principle, but I would say that's going to come, you know, maybe six months to a year into recovery. Now that doesn't mean you need to be eating junk food every single day for the rest of your life, but just recognizing that your intentions matter with what you're doing. And so if we come from 10 years of restricting food and having a really bad relationship with food, we work on getting our period back our default is still going to be to undereat. So it's really important that you're continuing to challenge all of the rules and restrictions that led you to lose your period in the first place. Mm, okay. That's, that's really good, really good advice. And it's, it's funny that you bring up the whole, you know, t- 10 principles of intuitive eating, because currently we are going through an intuitive eating series for the month of April, where we go over the 10 principles. So I guess real quick, talking about like the intuitive eating principles, um, how does intuitive eating kind of tie in with fertility? Is intuitive eating a way um, you know, is that a lifestyle that you as a registered dietitian recommend and is helpful for fertility? You know, what is your take on that? Yeah, 100%. So the foundation of a healthy diet for fertility is going to be nutritional adequacy. So you're probably going to read a lot on the internet about 
restrictive things, you know, go gluten-free, go dairy-free, um, go low carb, go keto. You're going to, you're going to read all of these things. And unfortunately that information sets a lot of people up for failure, especially somebody who maybe already has a pretty restrictive diet, because if you are already not eating enough, and then you start to follow a quote, healthy fertility diet, you simply aren't going to be providing your body with enough calories to ovulate. And so the foundation of a healthy fertility diet is making sure you're eating enough to support regular ovulatory cycles. And I think that if we get into intuitive eating, it absolutely supports that goal. So what advice do you have for someone who is maybe going from extreme dieting, um, you know, lost their period, really trying to get their period back to transitioning to intuitive eating? Um, Like what advice do you have? Maybe some, some tips or steps to making that transition into eating intuitively instead of dieting? Yeah. So step one is going to be to you know, focus on probably intuitive eating principles, um, one, two, and four, and then also I think it's eight or nine about, um, you know, like respecting your body and, and recognizing that your body is unique and it doesn't have to be a specific size or a specific weight to be worthy and beautiful. And that one takes a lot. I would camp out there a lot as you're going through recovery. And then also to rejecting the diet mentality, challenging the food police and um, giving yourself unconditional permission to eat. So when I approach intuitive eating with someone who is working to recover their period, we really start with those ones that I mentioned. And once your period returns, then I have kind of a different method of starting to kind of go through and incorporating in some of the latter ones. But again, if you're trying to recover your period and you're starting with intuitive eating principle number 10, which is, um, which is adding in the gentle nutrition, I think you're still going to miss the mark. I actually see a considerable amount of people who say, oh, I'm just going to eat intuitively. But if you have 10 plus years of dieting and restricting food, you can't just jump into intuitive eating. Like it's going to take a while to kind of go through the motions. And so my biggest tip would just be to be patient with yourself, right? Like don't expect it to be an under, um, like an overnight process, right? Like you're probably undoing years and years and years of restrictive thoughts and behaviors. And so it, it can definitely take time. I think one of the biggest takeaways from that is, you know, I'm over here, you know, preaching intuitive eating and body positive, body positivity and acceptance and all this stuff. And when we're over here talking to you about how to find food freedom for fertility, it all still goes back with your relationship with food. If you want to fix your period, have, you know, better luck trying to conceive it isn't a quick fix. It's something that you are going to have to work at consistently, be patient and continue once you get your period back. Do you notice a lot of the times with um, maybe clients that you work with that? um, I mean, I'm sure not because you teach them the right way, but do you notice that maybe they're a little more like, okay, I got my period back. I can go back to my old habits. I'll definitely say more of the people that I don't work with from like day one of their period recovery mm-hmm. journey. Absolutely. That happens. So I'll, I'll have people who do recover their period by, you know, just working on their own and simply eating more, exercising less. And then they come to me, you know, six months, six years later, and they're like, yeah, but I'm not ovulating or I got my period back, but I lost it again. And so, yes, it is, it is a process and, I would say full mental recovery. Cause usually we see bodies recover, as I mentioned, you know, kind of around the two month mark, usually we see bodies recover around that time. So physically you can be recovered and having regular healthy ovulatory cycles, but the mental part usually takes closer to a year for full recovery. 
Mm, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's what I tell my clients as well with intuitive eating. Like if you've spent, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 plus years dieting, you can't expect to change that mentality overnight. And, you know, it really reflects into your, you know, your food freedom journey, your intuitive eating journey, your fertility journey as well. And yeah, I think the mindset is what takes the longest. And that's why you know, I tell people when you're going to intuitively eat, you need to really dedicate like a year and give it like a year to become a part of your lifestyle. Cause with diets, we're so quick to be like, all right, like, I hope I see all these changes in, in one week, two weeks, one month. And I like that you say a lot of the times we'll see the physical changes in our body, but it takes longer for the mental changes to happen and to stay. Yeah, exactly. And I would say to, you know, to support yourself in maybe a quicker or more seamless, like mental recovery journey from whether it's period loss, or you're just on a, a food freedom journey, right. Is to really like continue to educate yourself and continue to surround yourself with positive influences. If you're trying to eat intuitively and you're following a bunch of people on social media who are telling you to diet and change your body, it's going to be really hard to like actually process through that. Those are lies. And those are not actually things that are going to get you where you want to be, um, with your health and with your relationship with food. Yeah. All, all these years of, you know, social media or diet culture, teaching us things is going to take, um, a lot of time to unlearn it. So, um, I guess to really wrap it up, what are some last words? Um, that sounds so dark. Give me your last words. <laughs> what is the, what is the final words? I guess you have to say for our listeners who are maybe trying to start their intuitive eating journey, who are maybe thinking about starting a family in the future and are maybe a little worried about the, you know, how their diet and exercise is affecting their hormones. What, what do you have to say for them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say that if you're wanting to start a family sooner than later, it would be helpful to maybe even circle up, like come off the pill, like maybe, maybe even before you were planning, of course, know that once you're off birth control, it's very possible for you to ovulate and get pregnant right away. So if pregnancy is not the goal of ASAP, make sure you're using other forms of, um, of, of pregnancy prevention. Um, but you know, coming off the pill and, and, and doing some education, right? Like you, I think you had already kind of alluded to this Miranda, but the pill does deplete your body of certain nutrients. So you might want to spend a little bit of time, you know, researching that and deciding what you want to um, focus on to make sure your body is in tip top shape for fertility. And then of course, if you come off the pill and you aren't getting a period or you are getting, um, really, really irregular cycles, you don't know when your period's going to come, you're not able to identify and confirm ovulation, then looking more into some of those organic causes for what's going on with your body. And then also know that if you aren't getting the answers from your doctor, um, you know, sometimes, like you said, it takes advocating for yourself. It takes, um, doing some good research, um, and then getting second opinions, right? Cause if you go to a doctor who is just like, I don't know, you know, or you should go to fertility, you know, they're, they're really quick to say, oh, we will, we'll just do fertility treatment. If that's not what you want to do, just know you have options. Awesome. Thank you for that. That I think that's something a lot of our, our listeners need to hear because it can be so discouraging when, you know, one person tells you something and you think that you just need to listen to that. And like you said, get second opinions. Um, and, you know, I say hire a professional, someone like you who, who has not only been trained and went to school for this, but who has also experienced it themselves. And it's just so important to, you know, have that, that self-compassion and, you know, to really invest the time, energy, and money into your health, because 
you know, things aren't going to happen overnight, especially if you're trying for a family. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, when it comes to fertility too, it's like, once you get there, it's like, you want to be pregnant yesterday. And so taking the time to invest in yourself and getting the right answers, um, and, and just making sure that you have the direction that you feel confident with is going to be a really important part of a fertility plan. Awesome. So where can our listeners reach out to you, find you and, and connect with you? Yeah. So, um, I'm most active on Instagram, um, at food.freedom.fertility is my, um, Instagram handle. And then I don't know when you're airing this Miranda, but I do have a website coming in May. So that is foodfreedomandfertility.com. Thank you so much for talking about this. It's funny because I did plan on airing this um, a little later because I am pregnant. So I'm trying to, you know, get congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. you. Yeah. So I'm trying to, you know, get my episodes all lined up, but I am doing it. Like I said, intuitive eating April right now. And I think that this would actually be a great episode to include in that to talk about the, you know, the fertility and hormone aspect to that. So for those listening, this wasn't planned, but this is going to be part of intuitive eating April. So thank you so much, Lindsay. Um, Thank you for, you know, everything you're doing to, to help women, empower women, educate women. You know, we, we need more people and dietitians in the world like you, because like you said, a lot of these dietitians and a lot of these people who work in the health space go into it for weight loss. And there's so much more to life than losing weight. So I think it's awesome to have people like you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been cool to see, I think like the intuitive eating space grow, um, in social, um, just everywhere. And so, yeah, always trying to recruit more people to, to our side. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll put all of your information in the show notes so people can reach out to you, follow you on Instagram and then check out your website when it comes out in May. So thank you again for coming on. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So that is it for today's episode. I think this was a great way to wrap up the intuitive eating April series. Thank you again to Lindsay for teaching us about fertility and how to get our period back if we have lost it due to overexercising and extreme dieting. And you see everything just comes full circle with intuitive eating and how intuitive eating can really help us even in our fertility journey. So thanks again, Lindsay. If you guys are ready to really take the next step into starting your intuitive eating journey and you want that support and accountability and basically the tools that you need to get started, I highly recommend signing up for one-on-one coaching with me. Um, I do have a couple spots left. So if you are ready to really ditch the diet mentality and heal your relationship with food, I would love to help you and be on this journey with you so we can make this lifestyle change and never diet again. And our bodies, our bodies thrive off of intuitive eating. And we really want to treat our bodies with the love and the respect and compassion and kindness that it deserves. So if you're ready for one-on-one coaching, please reach out to me. You can email me. My email is thisismirandalee at gmail.com. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram at thisismirandalee. All right, you guys, thanks again for joining me and I will catch you on Monday's episode.